I'm talking about Luke 15 this morning. I started talking about that the other day and couldn't get past verse 2. I made everybody hungry talking about eating in the Bible. I told you about the title of this book called Eating Your Way Through the Gospels. And when you start seeing eating, Marla and I were talking about this. When I got my car, it was, it's, it's kind of a silver gray car, and I didn't think nobody in the world had a car that color. I thought, man, I, I, you know, this is the most beautiful color of a car anywhere, and nobody has it. And I pulled out on the road, and guess what I saw everywhere? I saw the car same color as mine. I pull in parking lots, and like, good Lord, everybody's got a car of this color. Well, that's what I discovered about the eating in the Bible. Once I saw it, it's everywhere. Like, good gracious. It's, if Jesus wasn't living in a day where he had to walk everywhere, he'd be big as a house. You know, because he ate all, that's what he did. He just ate and ate and ate. And he loved to eat. So, you know, feasting is, be, is greater than fasting in the Bible. Yet there is some fasting. Amen. <laughs> okay, it says, all the tax, I'm going to read this again. Then all the tax collectors... Matthew, Luke 15, verse 1 through 3. And the reason I'm talking to you about this is because, I said this last week, this is really important. This in my life has been equally equal to John 14 in terms of revelation about God as a father. Okay? And it reveals, and it's the greatest chapter in Luke, in my mind, concerning God the Father and, what God, and how God the Father reveals himself it's just uh, amazing. It's, it's just impacting. It's been impacting to me for years and years and years and years. There's a Catholic man named Henry Noeen who wrote a book about the prodigal son. And on the, on the, on the, uh, book, on the cover of the book is, is the uh, painting that uh, some famous Rembrandt wrote, uh, drew this picture of the prodigal son. And Rembrandt, or yeah, Rembrandt literally, uh, or, or Noeen literally went to that where that picture was located in some museum in Europe and spent weeks standing there studying that picture. And it's and somebody actually gave I got a, I got the whole picture of it. It's it's amazing. Uh and that's really how God began to speak to this man about uh Luke 15. And it's just a it's a very powerful book. I would highly recommend. I love that guy Henry Noeen. He's one of my all-time favorite favorite guys. Uh, just amazing man. Let me just tell you this one thing about Henry. Henry was a theologian at Notre Dame University, okay? Uh, And he, somehow God convinced him to go to Toronto, Canada to work in a home uh, where uh, mentally disabled people, okay? And and he was going to be over this home of mentally disabled people. And he got there and God completely unraveled that man. And he said the first thing that confronted him is those people uh, at that home, none of them gave a rip about who Henry Noeen was. They didn't care about his theology. They didn't care what he accomplished. To him, he was just one of them. Isn't that beautiful? And he said that was one of the most humbling things that he had ever experienced in his life, that God brought him down and brought him into some reality in his life. And that's when his true ministry began. It didn't, his true ministry began out of a breaking where he became a real person and he didn't become some, some, somebody. Yeah, it was really good, so I love him. But let me read this. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, speaking about Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he began to speak this parable to him. It says, 
Well, first of all, uh, there's a translation of the Bible called the Phillips translation. It's an older translation. I love the Bible. It's only got one verse in it that's controversial in my mind, but I won't go into that. But uh, Phillips says Jesus began to, Jesus, this man eats with outsiders, okay, instead of the sinners, outsiders. And, and he uh, accepts them. He eats with them. He accepts them he, he, because Jesus himself was an outsider. So here's the thing I want to say to you. I've been thinking about outsiders. Who are the outsiders in America? Okay, can you answer that question? Who are the people that we would that have been outsiders who've not really been accepted into the mainstream? I think everybody in this room knows that. Traditionally and historically, it's been black people. Okay, that's the truth. Okay, and that, that's expanding now. It's expanding into to Muslim people. Now they're outsiders in America. And I'm going to tell you, you know, that's really not the father. None of that. That's, none of that's not the father. Racism is one of the most cruel and wicked religious things there is. And when we look at a person and we, we make them an outsider because they don't look like us or think like us or believe like any of that, we have gone, we are moving so far away from God, it's ridiculous. And, God, and that's something God wants to heal. And I'm, I think it's wonderful what the government sometimes does, not always about all that. But the truth is they can't fix it. They, the, the government can't, it has, does not have the power to fix that because it's a heart thing. And the only way it's ever going to get fixed is for our hearts to get fixed. You know, and, and so we're just asking the Lord, Lord, fix our hearts. Fix our hearts, Lord. Our hearts desperately need to be fixed on this whole issue of, of racism and this whole issue of insiders versus outsiders. It really, really is a, it's, it's devastating. And so right from the start, you, you see that Jesus is trying to communicate something about the Father. About the, let's listen, the, in the Father's heart, everybody's already in. Everybody. We're all in when it comes to the Father. There's nobody on the outside. When it comes to his heart. And this is what this, teach, this, this whole thing will teach you. This, I'm going to just give you the... It's, it's like when God shows up, guess who he's looking for? He's looking for the people who are not here. He's looking for the ones who are not... You know, it's like we got the supper table tonight. And all the family joins, but one's missing. Guess who the daddy's... Where, where's so-and-so? Why ain't Johnny here? Is, is there a reason he's not here? Or is Johnny, is Johnny just lost somewhere? And that's what this whole thing teaches us, this whole Luke 15, that God wants to find those who are absent, those who are missing, those who are still out there lost, so He can make sure they get back into the house or come into the house. Amen? And so that's really really what it teaches us. So um, let me tell you a few things about it. It's really one parable. Like, although there's three, there's three stories in it. There's the parable of the lost sheep, okay, there's the parable of the lost coin, and then there's the parable of the product, what we call the parable of the prodigal son. Really, it's one parable. Okay, it's one parable with three parts to it. The first two parts is are setting are setting the stage to explain what the what the real parable is all about, about the sons and about the father and about the house. Okay, so so if you look at it, the the uh, uh, the lost the parable of the lost sheep is is about the prodigal son who's lost out there in the world. He was in the house, but he left the house, and he went out there into the world, and now he's, a, he's like a lost sheep. He's wandered off into the world, okay? And, he, and he's not doing well. 
That's what, what the God was trying to, re, what Jesus was trying to reveal. There's these sons who, who are out there. They're not doing well. They're messed up. Then the parable of the lost coin, the coin was in the house. It was lost in the house. Okay? It didn't go nowhere. It didn't leave anywhere. It got lost somehow. And, and that's the elder brother. The elder brother never left the house. He was always there in the house, but he was just as lost or maybe more lost maybe more lost than that son who went out there and lived crazily. Okay? Even some people, some people say it's not the parable of the prodigal son, it's the parable of the elder brother. You know? And so that's, that's what he was trying to communicate with those two uh, stories. He was, because the people of that time, they understood. They understood about sheep. They were shepherds. That was a, a society of shepherds. And so they understood that whole thing about how shepherds dealt with sheep and that kind of thing. And they also understood, you know, the value of money. Like, in other words, if, if it was a day's wages, okay, it was a day's wages. If you lost one day's wages, say you made 100 bucks a day for 10 days straight, and you lost 100, 10% of it, you'd be looking for it, right? 10% of your money, that's a lot of money if you, you know, that's a... That's a hundred bucks. You, you, you would tear the house down looking for it. And so they all got that. They all were get, all getting what he was trying to say because he was setting them up to really tell them something important because they, are, they were absolutely refusing to allow outsiders in. They didn't want the outsiders in. Okay? Jesus was breaking all protocol and all social and religious norms by associating with these outsiders in their mind. And so what he was trying to do is shift the way they think. He was trying to get them to see God different and think about God different. And it's, and it's just beautiful. Are you all okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So it's really about being lost. That's what the whole thing is. A sheep is lost, a coin is lost, two sons are lost. That's what the whole thing is about, is, is being lost. You'll not find uh, in, this, in the story... Uh, blame was never laid by the people that mattered. They never blamed, you know, the lost sheep. They never blamed the lost coin. They never blamed the lost sons. They were, you know, God never saw that in there. So you can't read into this blame because it was not about blame. And see, that's what the church does. Well, you've messed up, and, and this is what you've done, and this is where you're wrong. And you see, that's, Jesus was saying, that's not how the Father approaches people. He, didn't, he doesn't bl- but blame uh, he doesn't approach them on the basis of blame. He approaches them on the, on the basis of, you're missed. You're missed. You have a place. You belong. I need to somehow convince you to get to your place because I've got a place for you. That's how he approaches it. At some point in time, there's always going to be those conversations like, hey, you don't want to, you, you, would you like to not mess up again? <laughs> you know? Let's talk about that today. You know? But he don't start that way. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Here's something. Just yes, um, it, it's just wonderful. Uh, let me read this uh, about the sheep and tell you a couple more things. I just uh, said, and so Jesus said, "What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he fa- found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing." And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. 
so that's that's beautiful, isn't it? So here's the here's the thing uh, when I when I read that, just really the thing that really sticks out to me is really is is what I was saying is the it's the value of your presence, okay? The value. See, we we sing about the presence of the Lord that we love the presence of the Lord, right? That's that's what we live for. That's the most important thing to us is God's presence. Because in His presence is everything. In His presence, everything shifts. And when we start becoming aware of His presence, it's such an impacting thing on our lives. A lot of y'all would agree with that, right? Uh, you know, that, so that's why we put a lot of uh, thought, you know, about trying to cultivate an atmosphere of God's presence, of allowing God's presence to flow and move. But let me just say, from God's perspective, He, he values presence also. Have you ever thought about it like that, that God values your presence? And God is hungry for you to be in His presence just as much as we are hungry. See, where do we get that hunger for God's presence? Where did that come from? It come from the Father. He has that hunger. He, he has that hunger for us. And see, we have to get our minds shifted into thinking that we're not clamoring trying to get God's presence, that God's really the one initiating this. He's the one who went looking. That's what he was saying there. I, I'm, I'm the one who's going to go find that person out there that should be here. I'm going to go look for them because I want to bring them in. I want, to, I want them to be a part. That's, so he's the one who initiates that. Oh, I was thinking about this. I wrote it down this morning. Um, it's, not, it's not about getting the Father back into our lives as much as it is the Father getting us into his life. That's what Christianity really is. It's about the Father inviting us into a place. Are y'all following that? See, I know this is not how people think, but this is how God thinks. See, God don't come to church saying, I'm going to get the presence of the Lord here. No, God comes to church and says, I want to be in your presence. That, that's why I'm here. I'm not here, but I'm here to be with you. You see, that's how we got to begin to see God. That's what, that's what Jesus was wanting to just get these guys to see. And this is what will change your life. You know, in the natural realm, um, you know, your presence is everything. When I say presence, I mean your physical and emotional presence because you can be physically present. The older son was physically present in the house, but he was emotionally a long ways away from that house. Are y'all following that? A daddy can come home after work and be there in his body, but he can be a million, he can still be at work in his mind. And it's the key to relationships in the natural. It's the key to having a good home. It's the key to parenting. It's the key to a marriage. It's not just be physically there, but be emotionally there. Every girl in the room understands this. Half the men don't. Well, after you've been married 40 years, you might start getting it after your wife slapped you around and told you how crazy you are if you think you, you know. Yeah, amen. It's the truth. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been slapped around so much. I don't know what to, how, what even to think no more. You know, you know, you're sitting there, talk, you know, your wife's talking to you and you're, you're thinking about something else and she knows it. You know, I mean, they ain't stupid. They're not as dumb as we think they are. You can't trick them. You can't, oh, yes, darling, that's so interesting. I really appreciate you thinking that's like, like yeah, really, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that paint color. I've been talked about it 900 times. Why am I going to talk about it again? Because she wants to talk about it, you know. And so, you see, we can, we can be physically absent. We can be emotionally absent. 
Now, sheep, this is the truth about sheep. I studied up on sheep to try to figure out this thing about sheep. This is what I understand about sheep in the natural. Sheep in the natural are not, not um, they don't, they're not rebellious and try to run away from the herd. What they'll do is they'll be out with the herd in the field eating grass. And one of them will see a plot of grass over there. So they'll go over here to where the plot of grass is. They'll nibble on that a little while, and then they'll see another plot. They'll go to that plot, nibble on that. Then they'll see a brook over there. They'll go to that brook. And before long, they'll go and go and go and go. And then they'll turn around and realize, where's everybody at? What, why did you, you know, what happened? See, in their mind, it's not intentional. It's not intentional to pull themselves away from the flock. Are you seeing what God, what Jesus was trying to tell them? They, all those people understood that. They know it wasn't in people's hearts. It's not in believers' hearts just to forsake the Lord or forsake the believers. It's a little bit of a thing. Because we're, we're as a society and most people, we're so tied up in what we're doing and trying to accomplish things. Daddy comes home from work after he's worked all day, after he's poured himself into his job. He don't have the emotions to give the mama. He don't have the emotions to give the children. So he's there physically, but he is really pulling away and pulling away and pulling away. Well, that's how Christians do. That's how you and I do. We don't intend to pull away from the Lord. We don't intend to pull. It's just that one day we wake up and we've, we've realized we've pulled away. We've shifted away from Him because we've been so caught up in life. Am I talking to anybody in this room? In this room? I'm, I'm promising you that's what Jesus was trying to tell them. He was trying to tell them these ain't bad people. These ain't messed up people. These are people who've just slowly but surely in their life have pulled away from me. And they need somebody to go get them. They need somebody to find them and bring them back. And that's what his heart's like. And so the question, you know, all of us need to ask ourselves, are we present? Are we emotionally and physically present with the Lord? Have you ever sat down and read the Bible in the morning? I'm messing with you. Have you ever sat down and read the Bible this morning and you were 90 miles away from it? And you read it like, well, I need to read the Bible. It's time to read the Bible. So you read the Bible, and you've read down, and you're like, what did I just read? I mean, who hadn't done that, right? That's what, See, you're not emotionally connected at that point. You're physically there. You're physically there to read the Word of God. You're physically there to commune with the Lord. But your heart, as Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are a million miles away. Jesus said that. Their hearts are a million miles away. And that's why the Bible talks about so much about our hearts, about guarding our hearts, cultivating our hearts, you know, allowing, making sure that your heart is engaged. Y'all okay? You're not looking okay. <laughs> mm. Let me read this little verse here. I love this. John said, this is another verse. Father, this is John 17, 24. This is Jesus uh, right at the end of his life. Uh, his last, you know, the high priestly prayer is what they call it um, in, in, in the Gospel of John, right before he was gone, uh, left to be betrayed and crucified. Father, right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, I desire, desire that they also whom you gave me may be what? With me where I am. That's presence. 
desperate. See, that was Jesus' desire. And he's, he's right here. This is what I want, Father. I want us to be together. I want the family to be together. I want the family to join together. It's like going, I was, somebody, I was talking to somebody about at the beach, the family beach. Anybody ever do family beach trips? Oh, Lord, it's crazy. <laughs> it, 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 in fact, it's kind of miserable. You know, you got, I'm talking about when you get these adults, okay, kids, they're, they're grown up, they're equal adults now, and they got their own kids, and everybody just, you know, you got to, who's going to have what room. I don't know if y'all know about this, but you will. And uh, uh, this, is what I, this is what I know about Becky. It, none of that matters to her, just as long as everybody's there. I don't care if we've got to stack them in there like sorry. I just want them to be there in one place together. You see, that's what the Father's like. I just got to find a place to get everybody together. That's, that's what Jesus was saying. He was reflecting the Father's heart. I just want them to be with me. Father, that's what I want. I want them to be with me. We want to be with God, but God said, no, wait a minute. I want to be with you. He's trying to convince. See, though, years ago we heard about this revival that would never end. Remember that? And we were all disappointed because we felt like the revival ended, right? Are y'all following this? We did. Well, that revival came. No, I'm sort of like, I'm kind of wondering it didn't come to an end. Because I'm kind of wondering the whole thing was about this, about John 17, 24. The whole thing was about the Father revealing Himself as a father, that I'm a father, you're a son, you're a daughter. And it started shifting. It started shifting to something like this. It started shifting to God saying, and I have a family, and you're part of that family, and I want us to come together. And I don't know that that's ever going to end. I think if you... That will never end. We will go on into eternity finding out what that means to be a part of that family. And see, I believe that's what really God's doing. In my mind, well, maybe it's just in my little brain and in my little life, but that's what God's doing in my life. He's showing me how much He wants me to be at the table with Him, that He desires me to be there. It's not, it's not just about, oh, I realize that I have a father and he's a good father. That's awesome in itself, but there's other parts to it. There's other parts to it. And that's a revelation. It's a, it's a real revelation. When we start getting that revelation, that's what's going to change, change us. Because when we start seeing how valuable we are to him and how much he desires us, this whole thing about striving to get the presence of the Lord and striving to get God to come down and striving to get God moved, you're going to find out how stupid that is and how ridiculous that is and how anti-Holy Spirit that is. Because none of that is how God operates. He don't work in the realm of striving. He works in the realm of faith. And, lo- and faith it works in the realm of love. I hope I'm talking to somebody. Okay, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Isn't that beautiful? That, they, that we could see the Lord and we could see His, his glory. His, and His glory is, is associated with the love that the Father has poured out on Him. And see, that's the, the glory that God really wants to share more than anything else with the church, is that same love that the Father has for a son that he had for, for Jesus Christ, that we might experience that love, we might know that communion, we might know that fellowship, and we might know that we are sons and daughters today and that we belong. 
we belong at the table, and he will do anything to get us there. Like I said earlier, and I know some people have a hard time with this statement, in, in the Father's heart, everybody in this world is already in. Listen, everybody in the world is in. Everybody. Jesus died for the world. For the world. That's why we're already in. He's already That doesn't mean everybody's accepted it. That doesn't mean everybody's in. But it means in his heart, in God's heart, in God's will, you're in. You're in. So you can pray God's will easy on that. You can say, you say I'm in, I'm in. I accept the invitation, I walk in. That's easy. That's an easy revelation to walk in if you really believe it in your heart. Okay. (laughs) So you can see that Jesus' whole whole thing was reclaiming, reclaiming, reclaiming what the Father had, reclaiming the family. The human beings that you have in your life are the most important things in your life. The human beings that God has given you, they're the most. Your job is not. Your money, none of that. Your ministry is not. It's it's your family. it's It's your friends. It's the people that God's put in your life that God has put there to impact your life, to change your life, and make you who you are. And see, that's how God thinks. God thinks like a father. These are the most important. I want these people around me. I love these people. I want these people. And oh, by the way, I'm going to do all this stuff because I want them to be with me while I'm doing it. That's what real ministry is. Oh, God's doing stuff. Hey, I love you. Come with me. We're going to do some good stuff together. That's that's how our ministry really should flow. It should flow out of this relationship. I think I'm really trying to talk to y'all. Yeah. I'll tell you, let me just say this. The corn, the corn was lost at home. It never physically wandered off. We tend to think of the lost as those who are away from God. Right? The lost people out there in the world. That's how we, but God is, uh, God, what Jesus was showing us, no, 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 no. There's many people in the house of God that are way away from Him. There's many people lost in the house. There's many people, as you go on and read the rest of that prodigal about the older brother, he was one hard-working dude, serving his father. Okay? Hard-working man, but so full of anger and bitterness in his heart because he felt totally separated from his dad. Didn't know that everything his dad had was his. Did not know it. Had no clue because he was mad at his dad because his dad wouldn't give him a party. And his dad said, you can have a party anytime you want to. That's what his daddy's telling him. Anytime. Because everything I have is yours. But see, his belief and his view of his dad completely cut him off. And I think that's what has happened to the church. See, we're, many times we are just as lost. We might be going to heaven, but between now and heaven, we're real lost because we don't see the Father the way the Father really is. We think of Him as something different. And so God wants to find those in the house that are lost. Is anybody lost in here this morning? <laughs> there you go. Somebody raised their hand. Listen, let me read this. Or what woman having ten silver coins? I'll tell you, the woman was the Holy Spirit. I told you that, right? I told you that earlier, all three. Yeah, the woman's the Holy Spirit here. Jesus uh, was the shepherd, and the father is represented as, as the father of the two sons. 
So you got the you got the whole Trinity all piled into this story, which is amazing to me. I mean, they're like piled into it. Like we got to get everybody in this story. That's what we're going to get the whole Godhead into this story. They all going to be active in this story. It's a great revelation of the Trinity, I think. You know, it just it just sticks out. What woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, um, I love that phrase, light a lamp. Everybody say, light a lamp. You know what that literally means in the original Greek language? It means to set on fire. Now, that's a Holy Ghost thing, right? <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Religious people do not get along with the Holy Ghost. Now, that's the truth. The Holy Ghost lights a fire. Okay? And He sweeps through the church. <laughs> you know, have you ever swept some stuff? It stirs up some dust. You know, you're sweeping away. I don't know about sweeping. <laughs> I just sweep. I walk dirt into the house, you're sweeping it. <laughs> you know, that's fair, right? If you walked it in, you're sweeping it. And so the Holy Ghost lights a fire. That's, that's sort of how he operates. He, you know, Jesus is a little different. He goes and gets this thing, puts it on his shoulder, and walks back. The Holy Ghost like, uh-uh, get the fire out. That's how we're dealing with these people. We're going to get these, these, these religious people in this room. We're going to light a fire, and it's going to offend people. You go in any revival in history, any revival, and people get thrown off and angry with the Lord about it. They don't like what God does, and they, and they don't like how people react to what God does. It puts them off. Some of it's God, and some of it's people. You, you understand what I'm saying? People react to God. People, and so that can become real offensive to people, you know. And all that offense really is a trying of your heart because God always tries our heart. You know, it's, what's that scripture, uh, you know, that the thoughts and intents of your heart will be, a sword will pierce your heart. He said to Mary, a sword's going to pierce your heart and your thoughts and intentions are going to be revealed. In other words, as someone said, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. That's what, what he was saying there. He, he, things will, will offend your thinking so you, can, so you can see what's in your heart. And that's sort of how the Holy Spirit operates. I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, he feels, it feels like, ugh. You know, like you're having Easter service, like, Lord, please don't do nothing ridiculous today because people have their family. <laughs> have you ever thought that? Come on, have y'all not thought that? Like, God, please let them ha- let the crazy people in there be, be calm or be absent. Let them be visiting their family somewhere today. Because I don't want my family to think I'm crazy because my church is crazy. You know, I don't know. I thought that. Like, oh, God, I hope that person's not at church today. I thought that until I went to my, the church that my mama went to. When she, that my, the church my mama grew up in was a Baptist church. And I felt... Well, I felt ashamed because I didn't have near the violence in worship that they did. I thought, good Lord, these people are crazy, man. I mean, they were wild. I mean, they were what they call shouting Baptists. And so I didn't feel bad about bringing Mama to church after that. Like, 
It's common here, Mama. Trust me. From what you used to, these people are like Presbyterians. They're so they're half asleep. You know? You okay? <laughs> and so that's what the Lord does is He does that because here's what happens lots of times with us. is It's called the tyranny of the familiar. You know what I'm saying? Is It, it kind of makes your heart jaded. It's, you mentioned it. Melissa mentioned it. Being when you're away, when you get away from something, the familiar, you lose the familiarity of it, and the things that you get comfortable with can actually put you to sleep, and cause you. You see, the, the older brother was comfortable being there. He lived there all his life. He was comfortable, but what it didn't, what he didn't realize, it was hardening his heart. It was jading his heart, and he was disconnecting from the father. And somewhere in that place, somewhere, one day, he was totally disconnected, and he didn't even know it. And what happened was when the, how the father react, responded to the, to, the, to the son who came home, exposed all of that in him. See, it was a great day for him. It was a glorious day for him because everything that was in his heart against his father and against his brother was suddenly exposed. It was brought out into the open so that he could see himself and see what was really going on in his life. The sad thing about this whole thing is the story ends like that. The story ends with the father standing outside the house. There's a party going on inside, and the father pleading with this son. Literally, it says he pled with him. Think about God pleading with you. Outside the house, offended, refused to go in. Now, that's what religion will do to you. It'll put you outside. And no matter what God says to you, he can't get through to you. Yeah. And so that's why we had to really go after this religious thing and be in absolutely, absolutely refuse it. Because ultimately, it's going to put you out. And no matter what God does, he, God himself, will not drag you in, but he will plead with you. He will plead with you. And so, Lord, I just pray for a spirit of conviction on us about religion especially. And that's something Becky and I have been really in our life just saying, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us. Because we understand that we're not free from religion. We understand it's everywhere. And there's pieces of it down in our hearts that we want you to expose to us and so we can get them out. We can get that leaven out of us. Amen? So I'm going to end there. Amen? Let's stand up and... Oh, Becky got something to say. Let her end it. You can stand up, but I'll just tell you this quick. Kalani can come, you guys can come up. I was just, uh, first of all, you know, the Amplified says about the Pharisees that they would shut the door and not let, they wouldn't go in themselves or let anybody else in. And that's the thing that I believe that the church has perpetuated into the world around us because of this thing, because the Pharisees were considered the separated ones. And that's why we believe the Lord is going after this thing. And that's why Byron started with the racism thing. It should not be in the house of God where there's any form of racism and any shape, size, because we are all made beautifully in his image, beautifully Every aspect of every race, tongue, and tribe is made beautifully in his image. And it's time for that to come down and to realize that we're all the family of God. 
And we're made to be together. We're made for that. And um, I was thinking this is, Byron and I last summer went to Argentina. And we've been going for years. And Byron, the Lord had shown him that there was a stairway to heaven somewhere in Argentina. And every year he would go and didn't feel like he would find this portal or something that he was looking for. Well, last summer when we were there, we got to meet with a man that had been, he had been instrumental in praying in the Argentine revival as a youth. It was amazing. His story, we got a personal time. And it was so amazing because he had grief in his heart about revival because he had felt like he had lost something along the way. But we just really connected with this man and felt like that was the portal that God had given us. We, we walked down in there and said, this is it. This meeting with this man that had been so instrumental in revival there. But here's one of the things he said to me. God is saying things about family now. He felt like that's what God was doing. And when I, I didn't get that at the time because I was thinking it was about our family families, which I do believe it is about that. I believe God is emphasizing our families right now because too many of us have separated ourselves from our own family in the name of the Lord because it didn't measure up with what we believed or how we act or how we do things. And I think that needs to come down. It's all about loving them. But I believe the bigger thing that the Lord is doing, and I believe it is the revival that will not help, is that thing that he birthed in us through revival was the Father's heart. We just got a piece of it. And we're beginning to see the whole open door that is available to us. It is family. God has a family. And it is up to us as sons and daughters. to if We don't get that. That this whole thing was about bringing us back from, from where we fell in the beginning back to family. That we are his family. And He has a family lost out there in the house and outside the house. So I believe that is what Byron was saying is so key to what God's doing in the earth right now. So amen. I wanted to get that out. So it's so good. So amen. So we'll let, we'll do another song. And I want to call the, um, let's pray for a minute too. You guys can just start playing, praying, playing and praying. But um, Holy Spirit. You're the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And we honor you in this place to do whatever you want to do. We just say, have your way. Have your way in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, our spirits, Lord, to do what you want to do. Lord, bring us through the rabbit holes. Bring us through. Get us through, Lord, of places where we've been bound and in a box that has been religion. Bring us through to the wide open spaces of grace now, Lord. Of the Father's heart, the Father's intention from the beginning that the Lamb was slain from the beginning before man ever fell. And he has a place for each one of us. And he has a place for every man, woman, and child in this earth. And Lord, we just say now, let the spirit of adoption invade 
the earth. Let it invade your church. And Lord, bring us, bring us in to family like we've never known it, Lord. And we ask you for that. Holy Spirit, reign and rule in our hearts, Lord. Lord, touch us. Lord, break off every thought of religion that is not in tune with who you are as a father, Lord. We're asking you for that. We don't even know where we're blind, Lord. Where we have shut doors on others. We've shut doors with our families, Lord. We've shut doors with our neighbors. We've shut doors with other races, Lord, with other religions. We've shut the door. When, Lord, we should be an open door to your kingdom through the love of God. Thank you, Lord. We just lift our hands to you now and say, Come, just swing wide the door (laughs) to our hearts, Lord. We just say, Swing wide. Swing wide. Oh, there's so much more. There's so much more that we don't even know, Lord. There's so much more. Just fill us fresh with your spirit right now. Holy Spirit, fire of the Holy Ghost, just fill us up now. Fill us up with the spirit of adoption. Oh, if we don't know, they won't know. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm. We're tuning in right now. Tune us in. Tune us in, Lord. Tune us in. Oh, yeah. To your heart. Thank you, Lord. Tune us in with your heart. Oh, yeah. So much better than we ever thought. This gospel is so much better than we ever dreamed it to be. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Woo, it's good. Thank you. So where you are? I can't get enough I can't get enough You're amazing love You're amazing love No, I can't get enough I can't walk away And I can't walk away Just wanna 